Welcome to Androids and Assets, a weekly podcast about the political economy of all of our favorite science fiction and fantasy series. Join us as we investigate the hidden meanings in fantastic worlds and what the future can tell us about today. We upload new episodes every Monday. We hope you enjoy it. Do you know what's something that really has always bothered me about Lord of the Rings? I, I don't. It's it's the secondary stories, the sort of assumptions that go into Lord of the Rings. Uh, the things like um, Aragorn being the, the one true savior has to be the only guy who can be the king of Gondor because he's got the right bloodline. His, his dad was the right person? His dad could have been the right person, or his dad, or his dad, or his dad, going all the way back to Isildur. Okay. Uh, things like the, the Orientalism, uh, the Eastern hordes that come in, um, things like the, the inherent pastoralism of, of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, like nature, nature beating evil machines. Nature always beats evil machines, yeah. no matter what. Tree, those tree people are going to smash or thank all to, all to hell. Yeah, the, 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 just that those assumptions that aren't the main story, because the main story is fantastic. Uh, a group of hobbits, small people who are just sort of thrust into the limelight and the middle of a struggle for power who overcome evil based on their goodness. That I can totally get behind. It's a little too binary for me. That's fair. I can understand that. The world, the world's not black and white. I mean, yeah. I mean, we talk about things that... The thing that bugs me, I think, the most about it is... is Fantasy racism. It's like, yes, there's a hierarchy of races, and the oldest race is the best race. Mm, elves! The time of the elves is over. My people are leaving these shores. Who will you look to when we've gone? The dwarves? They hide in their mountains seeking riches. They care nothing for the troubles of others. It is in men that we must place our hope. Men? Men are weak. The race of men is failing. Yeah, fantasy racism. I think it's, I mean, it's endemic to science fiction and fantasy, like, that just all orcs are bad. That's crazy. Like, orcs are just a group of people, you know, a group of bipeds, and they're they're just doing their thing, you know. So this notion that they're inherently evil, and then there's a lot of genocidal connotations, I think. Yeah. But that's what stands out for me. But I think, yeah, it's all part of this same sort of thing, that there's only sort of, like, very naturalized assumptions, which are, I think very much endemic in the culture to which Lord of the Rings is bore out of. Absolutely. So these are the these are the assumptions that go into the Lord of the Rings, and uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about this week on Androids and Assets. Uh, I'm Marshall. And I'm Stephen, son of Alan. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that's one of the, the biggest things for me, though, uh, in Lord of the Rings, that somehow Aragorn is imbued with power from this destiny of of being born in the right family. He has the ability to he has the ability to use the plant, the king's foil. Oh, that's a weed uh to heal grievous wounds, bring people back from the brink of death. Magical wounds. Yeah, yeah magical wounds or yeah, or just knife. And and Faramir who, you know, was grievously wounded, and then doused with oil and nearly lit on fire. Really Spent jacked. several days on his deathbed until Aragorn was like, oh, here, let me just kind of chew on this plant and put it in your wounds. You'll be better in no time. King King Saliva is uh, is, is, to, uh, is to King's Foil what uh, Tylenol is to Percocet. <laughs> Percocet's <laughs> like, like a 
like oxycodone and and and, and, and acetaminophen. <laughs> oh really? Very, very, yeah. Oh yeah, I it's didn't a crazy know that. weird drug combination. I think I don't know. Pharmacy nerds, correct me. And and just as I so this idea that and it's it's an assumption and it's just taken as a given. Never once is it questioned by anybody who who thinks well. Okay, maybe twice it's questioned, uh, but only by people who have who are also hereditary lords. Like, yes, and like something the king of the Rohan. Rohan yeah, the king of the Rohan and and, and the steward of Gondor <laughs> both question and are like, well, strongly. who is he to be my king? Well, and it's like, yeah, yeah, but maybe you're only saying that because if he's the king you lose your power. And so they're not saying it because they don't actually believe it or believe that it's a possibility. They're saying it because they're threatened by it. But everyone else just accepts it. They're like, oh yeah, well, he's, and, he's and, the king. And they, they don't question the underlying assumption of hereditary rule. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just, no, you're the wrong hereditary guy. I'm, I'm the hereditary ruler that belongs here. You're the hereditary ruler who was thrown out. If you just, just ask God, he lives on the other side of the ocean. <laughs> With a bunch of elves. A bunch of racist, elitist elves. And and the elves, as racist and elitist as they are, also buy into this and totally accept that They're like, oh, well, we have this sword that could be refashioned, but only one person can wield it. The one true heir to this sword and throne. It's a sword. If you've got two arms, you can probably hold it and swing it. I mean, I feel like as elves, as people who don't really naturally die, like unless they're like killed in battle, uh, like they don't age, I guess it would probably be very confusing for them to be like, okay, well, we worked with this guy. So like, or, like obviously you're, you're, you're his issue. So therefore maybe you're kind of the same. This is just their version of immortality. And like, they think they, <laughs> it's I, I mean, hey, maybe that, it's I would think that, if you don't age and you don't die, hereditary leadership ceases to be important. You don't become king because your dad was king, because he probably still is king. Yeah, that's true. If you're the son of the king, you know. you'll always yeah. be the son of the king. <laughs> um, but I think it would lead to more of a I would I would guess a more of a meritocracy that we're going to give you a job because you're good at what you do and you worked for a millennia perfecting your craft. You gotta go to school for elves. Got to go to school for a really long time. Long time, <laughs> and they and they they don't get tenure. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's the thing that probably bothers me the most about Lord of the Rings uh, is just Aragorn being the guy who's got the power, and everyone just accepts it, and it's true, and there's never a doubt. Yeah, and then this is reinforced metaphysically, and then he, and then he gets the the throne, and he becomes a king, and. And everything gets better. The The earth itself recognizes when he becomes king. The tree that hasn't bloomed, the dead tree of Gondor, blooms again. And you're like, oh, wow. Like, the earth knows that oh, the king is back. The true king is back. Yeah. Uh, and that that just deep down inside troubles me. Yeah, it's, it's very patriarchal and, and regressive. I think it's quite the litmus test for English society in the early part of the 20th century. Um, and and I, and I don't know if we as North Americans, I think we as Canadians maybe get a little better idea, but I think it's, it's actually lost in a lot of Americans, this notion that there's actually like a group of people who are kind, who are in their own way processing how to be a medieval theocracy in the, in the world we live in. Um, which sounds crazy, but like Canada's a medieval theocracy, Australia's a medieval theocracy, the United Kingdom's a medieval theocracy, and they're all run by the same 
woman. And that's actually really crazy to think that that is that that the head of the church and the head of the state are the same person and that this is actually just a perfectly acceptable state of affairs. It's something that we condemn other countries for all the time. Uh, Gulf states, I mean, it's one of the main things levied against Iran. Uh, not even North Korea would uh, would the leader presume to be the representative of God itself. So in a certain sense, like it, it's very strange. Yeah, absolutely. Not only is the, the queen the head of state and technically the ruler of the country, um, even if we speak out against that, people still defend it. So it's not just that it's a historical sort of fact that exists and we're like, eh, yeah, but we kind of ignore it. If you say, I think it's wrong that we're a medieval theocracy, people will get virulently angry about it still. Well, it's it's good and proper and it's historical and it's our, this is just the way things are. And look at those crows. They haven't flown, or rooks, they haven't flown away from the tower, so. <laughs> and a story like Lord of the Rings, I think, sort of backs that up and and makes it more palatable to be like, well, yeah, but sometimes, you know, these people are in power because of good reasons. Yeah, and, I, and, I think, and I think you raise the interesting point that it's conflated with ecology. Yes. That, that this is a natural and pastoral state of affairs, um, and, and, and those that try and change it are those who would disrupt the organic balance of the earth. And we see that in, in with, you know, like with, with, with orcs and then new upstart races and, and, and evil wizards, people who destroy, who through their desire to upset the hierarchy in, I think what I think mainly is being upset is the hierarchy of races actually yep. in, in middle earth. Those that would have set the hierarchy of races are ultimately have, wreaking an actual ecological damage on the earth through their, through their intervention, through their actions. Like Mordor is a blasted hellhole. And so we have, they make swords that they mass produce armor for millions of millions of goblins. And, you know, and they have these machines and volcanoes and, you know, they use technology and, and all these things to elevate this through organization and technology. They elevate weak, marginalized people to challenge their betters. How How dare they, (laughs) which is just crazy. And, and it's even, there is definitely like a hierarchy that exists and it's, it's a really strange one. There's the elves who live in forests and can sort of commune with nature and get trees to build themselves into buildings, grow themselves into buildings that they can live in and they're at peace with nature in all ways. They also somehow do end up with swords and armor and that's not made clear exactly how that happens, but it does. And then, and then there's the men the race of man more or less lives in harmony with nature. They do manipulate it, but never to such an extent that it's damaged. It's it's changed enough that people can live there and have a livelihood, but they still respect everything. And they they know that, yes, there's forests and, and we'll use the wood, but we don't go into Fangorn Forest because it's too old and it's too magical. So we stay out of that one. And then there's the dwarves, who are even known as, like, the greediest, almost, race. They go into the earth. Yeah, they, yeah, they dig they, below they the, earth. the earth. And as long as they do it properly, it's okay. But when they dig too deep, that's when they awaken something. Yeah, they find literal hell down there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You dig too deep, you find actual Satan. And that's it, a thing. And it happens multiple times in different places. They'll... They'll find something that they shouldn't have found, 
whether it's a diamond that drives everyone crazy or literal hell where there are monsters locked below the earth for all eternity and now they've just been released because of those those damned dwarves but all three of those are okay they they each change nature and work with nature in their own way and an acceptable way but as soon as you talk about orcs it's suddenly bad they cut forests down just to burn them yeah i think it's important to note that orcs orcs are fallen elves they are they are elves they were taken by melkor in the age of the lamps and they were they were refashioned into these twisted evil so they're so they're sort of they're the youngest race and they're also the they're the defects the rejects from the elfin hierarchy yeah they're the the literal perversion of elves who then rather than living in harmony with nature pervert nature and that's the most wrong that they can be and i'm not at all saying here that i think we should just go out and burn nature and that the our environment is irrelevant 100% i i love nature i don't i don't want to see the trees all cut down but i think there's something to be said that one race is made to be evil because they manipulate nature in the wrong way and others are made to be good because they manipulate nature in the exact same way but in a good way? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. And again, I think it's just part of it. There, there's a cognitive dissonance built into there, of course, because it's because it's crazy. Because you know, humans are the humans are really devastating. But I think, but I think, I think, I mean, yeah. It all it all coalesces in a weird way, and it's it's weirdly an, an ad hominem attack against progress narratives in a weird way. So you see, kind of like that. The, it's it's Whiggish, and this I think the interesting thing we're kind of coming into in our in our discourse is that. The fact that, particularly being in Canada, is kind of we we have this like Whiggishness, and um, this kind of like kind of like well, we kind of figured out how to organize people a long time ago, and we just need to stick with that. Uh, versus like sort of you know like you have the U.S. sort of Republican progress narrative. Oh, we're getting better and better all the time, and you know um, our our, our society is continually evolving to greater levels of perfection and morality, which is why we can kill whoever we want, whatever. But it's, you know, I think in Canada, we're kind of in the middle. And I feel like this is just this weird book about feeling like, oh, shit, the 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 your time of kings is is over for us. And I don't I, it's like a weird it's like a weird grieving of the loss of of the British Empire in a certain respect. And I and I think it's a really weird thing to be sad about. Because it, it was horrible. Like, imagine if the Holocaust happened every four years like the Olympics. That's the British Empire. They killed literally tens of millions of people in India on the regular. And no one wants to talk about this. Like, I don't know. I was talking to a friend of mine. He said, like, Union Jack is basically a swastika in a certain respect. Because it, it has literally flown over so many goddamn genocides. And I know I'm, I'm bringing very much my own thing to Lord of the Rings. And this is, <laughs> yeah, it's just such a weird book for me. And I think, and I think it also has a weird conflation with Christianity. Did you find that being like, because we, we both grew up, or I grew up religious. Did you grow up religious? I grew up religious. Yeah. Growing up, Lord of the Rings got a huge endorsement as like a Christ allegory. Oh yeah. It was an acceptable book to read. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it taught you good, it taught you good values. Um, it was the good fantasy, not the dangerous kind. Yes. And, and now I kind of lean back and understand because it kind of, it kind of, supports and endorses all of those kind of it's just it supports orthodoxy yeah absolutely i think part of part of that is also like the orientalism of the book it's another type of that racism of the the hierarchy of the races but this is 
a hierarchy between the race of man. There's an evil darkness horde in the east, and it's this race of men who align themselves with Sauron and, and come en masse from a country that we don't really know, we don't hear much about. about. It's huge. Apparently Rune it's a huge is, country. Rune is a gigantic, actually, if you look at the map. It's, it takes up like a third of the continent. Yeah, so it's it's, it's and and that sort of is an allegory, I think, for Asia, uh, and not not really a hidden allegory. Asia is a large landmass. Europe is quite a small one. It's in the Asia, it's the Asia people. Uh, and even when you see them, when they're described, and when you see them in the movies, uh, they have sort of the the face coverings, and they look like it's an Orientalism in the, in the Edward Said sense of the word. They're the ones who aren't the proper God fearing king revering race of man they're the they're aligned with those damned industrialist orcs and they're evil and they they want to overthrow the natural order and we just want to preserve the natural order and we're taught like aragorn and and the hobbits and the the entire fellowship they're all there and we're supposed to revere them as being heroic when they're the ones who are actually preventing any real progress from happening in the world. They're sort of a regressive force, but they're the heroic good guys. Yeah, and I, and I all, all men completely patriarchal. Arwen and Galadriel just stay at home, being uh, all Victorian. <laughs> there, I mean, there is the one the one lady from Rohan. Eowyn. Yeah. Eowyn? Eowyn. Eowyn, yeah. Who does come and defeats the, the, uh, the, the witch, witch king. The witch king of Angmar. Because she, she's Nazgul. no man. No man can kill an asshole. All, all they have to do is find someone from their mother's womb untimely ripped, though. <laughs> Anyone by Cesarean would have done. Exactly. <laughs> Just think, you were robbed of your chance to kill the Witch King of Angmar. <laughs> no, it's true. I'm not, you're still a man, I think. Just start a cast. Just start a. Just start a, a, a castrati regiment. You know. Like, but otherwise, yeah. Like, there's no member. There's no female members of the fellowship. They're all men. All of the protagonist heroes are men. Women are at best side characters. So it's very, yeah, very, very much a patriarchy. And, and I think, and for me, Lord of the Rings reaches a supreme point of weirdness when it gets abstracted. I don't even know, I'm not putting this on Tolkien or anything. I'm just saying, like, this is a thing in the world where it gets abstracted to a World War II narrative. Like, when, <laughs> like it's written uh, over the course of World War II. I don't know if it comes out until, like, the late 40s. I think it's when it actually gets published but it's very much written in the back and it again gets sort of injected with a whole bunch of stuff about uh world war ii and so this notion of like yeah like english civilization on the brink against this vastly vastly superior horde i mean even if you look at the map of middle earth you kind of get this weird thing where it's like yeah okay there's english Shire's england over here and this is fran <laughs> you know gondor's france and then you have you know and then i can't germany remember... is mordor and then behind it is the soviet union <laughs> i can't remember where i read it but I've I've read that Tolkien said Middle Earth isn't just an abstraction of Earth. It is Earth. That he's writing about the Middle Earth, but it is in fact just our planet. Which is kind of a, a weird thing. But does then make this make this less of a fantasy and make it much more of an allegory. Yeah, I, I yeah, I agree. And so I think so this notion that it has some bearing on that this is allegorical to the structure kind of of uh, at least European society or English or European society. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's dark, it's grim. But I also, and the other thing I think that I put to it is also this notion that like Tolkien himself kind of, he has like an early English scholar, like Beowulf was his 
area of study. And so he was kind of like talking about how like, like there wasn't really like a properly post-Anglo-Saxon narrative that never really came about. There was no like early, early, early English narrative or epic that was written. And so Lord of the Rings is in a weird sort of theoretical way supposed to fill that gap in early English. Uh, which again is also super weird. It's super nationalist. It is very much infused with with, with race and the, and this mission missionization of the English language, and the, and the historicity of the English language, which I think is part of its enduring its enduring nature that it's part of our own made up history about our own greatness and long standing place in the world. Where you know in in the English English imperialism is very English as a language and as a as a world empire is very much the the new kid on the block in a lot of respects. But it's in very it's done a very good job of inventing one for itself. And Lord of the Rings, I think, is a key part of that. Yeah, I would I would definitely buy that. Yeah, and it's super strange. I'm not saying I don't like the book, because I, I've read it multiple times, and it's almost an annual tradition to rewatch the films. I like the story. It makes me feel good. But then when I think about it, I kind of don't like that I feel good when I watch it. And I think that's what sort of spurred some of my transition when I was younger. Not that I'm old, but when I was younger, I would read a lot more fantasy. As I've gotten older, I've transitioned away from as much fantasy to reading a lot more science fiction. And it doesn't hold all the time, but science fiction seems to lead to a lot more of a meritocracy. You'll have a crew on a starship that isn't made up of the, you know, historical line of kings that are just destined to guide this starship through space, but is made up of people who've just demonstrated that they have some skills, they're good at math, they can figure out how to run an engine, they're pretty good at inspiring a crew, somebody who can speak a few different languages. They have these skills that make them useful as a team running a starship. And that's pretty cool, that it's not heroes. They are, they become heroes, but it's not that they're destined to be heroes. It's that because they're good at what they do and they work well together as a team, that they are heroic. And Lord of the Rings has less of that. And I think a lot of fantasy has less of that. They have this one person is the hero. And if that person dies, the world is doomed. Yeah, I think, well, it all becomes a bit your baggage with history. I think at the end of the day. And and, and the promise when you're right, when you go into a fantasy setting, you're dragging with you a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of bullshit uh, out of our past and and maybe maybe you like that maybe you don't like that i don't know if it i mean i don't know if i i think and science fiction can certainly be confounded by many of the same things i mean and you look at guys like zelasny who could like write in both they could write in fantasy they could write in science fiction but i think it's uh i mean i think you're right there's definitely this is a thread and i think it's and i think more than anything is a thread in english language fantasy um, and, and a lot of that is actually due to the due to the position of Lord of the Rings in the genre. Like, if you look at Sword of Shannara, it is just dripping with that shit. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, Lord of the Rings being so, such a seminal piece pushed a lot of fantasy to write like it. When it became famous and popular, people emulated it to be famous and popular. And, and there's been some movement away from that at times, and that's good. Um, but some of those key pieces are still there and and that's less good but but i think all of our discussion about lord of the rings we've really missed the most important thing which is the walking (laughs) ah the walking the walking and the describing the walking (laughs) and and the different physical hardships they experience because of the walking sometimes they're thirsty yeah yeah so much in the same way our last episode was a blackboard review episode 
this is really I I I really want to get in the, the meat of this episode, which is the the walking episode, the the walking podcast where we talk about walking. So, Marshall, what was your favorite walking? So we've uh, we've recorded a few episodes now, and we're we're really excited. Uh, we're going to start giving a shit. Start giving a shit. We're gonna make our podcast. Try to make our podcast available on Google Play and on iTunes. So look for us there. Uh, leave reviews if you find us. Recommend us to your friends because now they can actually listen. Does anyone have a cousin who knows to make an RSS feed? So again, thanks for listening. Uh, recommend us to your friends. Find us on Twitter at AssetDroid and email SteveSteve at AndroidsAndAssets.ca if you have uh, any feedback for us. Music from this episode has been from an ant and an atom. Thanks so much for your support.